listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. You can turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter, 9, Luke chapter 18. Luke 18, we'll be looking at that in a moment. This morning we've been worshiping our Lord Jesus, our, our Redeemer, our Savior, and and how we are saved is we are saying we are saved through Christ alone. The only way that we are saved, not by works, so no one can boast, we are saved through Christ. And, and I want to read up for you before we get into the Luke 18, I want to read from Colossians chapter 1. Please look up on the screen and you can just follow along as I read. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Isn't that amazing? Amazing truth of our God, his love, what he has done for us. What a passage of scripture and Jesus, creator, sustainer, eternal, immortal, God in the flesh, the exact representation of the fullness of God, head of the church, reconciling man to God. That is our Jesus. And here, I just want to run by you, and these words will appear on the screen, encourage you to even be writing them down if you would like. Here are just some of the attributes and the characteristics of Jesus. And, and, and these were seen so visibly, and, and, and we continue to see these attributes of Jesus through the word of God, but these were seen here on this earth. First of all, we see that he was holy. He continues to be holy, but here on this earth, the perfect, sinless son of God who walked the face of this earth for 33 and a half years without sin. He was also compassionate. He took pity on all people, not just some people, just not the nice people, but on all people. Even if you were a mess up, even if you were a failure, he showed compassion. He was never, you made this mess of your life, deal with it. Come back to me when you've cleaned yourself up. No, he was full of compassion. We see how he wept over people, over the city of Jerusalem, how he entered into the lives of people with a hands-on approach. He'd look and he would see what people were going through and he would respond with compassion. He would enter into the pain of the people. He would weep for the people. He was kind. People were drawn to him. Now he wouldn't hold back to say what needed to be said. He spoke the truth. 
but he did it with kindness. He did it with love. He would speak words of correction. He would speak words of rebuke, but it was from a heart of compassion and kindness. He wouldn't excuse sin or bad behavior. No, he called his, the people on it, but it was done with kindness and compassion. He would speak the truth even if the truth was a hard truth. He was humble. Jesus was humble beyond belief. How he took time for all people, tax collectors, prostitutes, little children. He washed the feet of his disciples the night that he would be betrayed and and he knew everything that would be coming and he never, even for one moment, do we see any hint of saying, you know what, guys, I've got a lot going on here. Somebody could wash your stinking feet. That would be, no, he was humble. He was ready and willing to serve. He was meek. Meek is not weak. He was approachable. People were drawn to him this, through, through this attitude, this characteristic of meekness. When, when Jesus would walk in the room, he, he wouldn't make it all about himself and and, uh, you know, guys are kind of visiting and, you know, there's, there's some food going on and he comes in, he comes walking in and you wouldn't even necessarily notice he walked in the room. He wouldn't make it all about him. I've heard just recently of one pastor of a mega church uh, somewhere in North America that demands that when he walks in the room, everyone stands up. That is not meekness. That's quite the opposite. Jesus would walk in the room and you wouldn't even know. He wouldn't be, hey guys, hey guys, come here, come here, come here, come here, gather. You gotta hear this miracle I did today. Like it was, it was so, you just seen the look on the old people's faces and the young, like it, it was just amazing, like it was such a good day. No, he, he wasn't like that. He wasn't full of himself. He was meek. And remember, meek is not weak, it's strength. He was patient and forgiving. Oh, he was so patient, especially with those disciples, especially Peter. And I can see myself so much. I love Peter because I think I can be so much like him. Big mouth, messing up, and yet constantly experiencing the patience and the forgiveness of Christ. Never once did he say, okay, enough, enough with you 12. Get me new 12, come on, come on. There's, there's others who are willing to follow. You know, who wants, to, who wants to follow me? Come on. I'm done with you guys. You know, you guys are driving me nuts, so get, get me a new 12. No, patient and, and forgiving and And so we see this here, holy, compassionate, kind, humble, meek, patient, forgiving. That's Jesus. That's God in the flesh. That's, wow, that's amazing. No wonder people were drawn to him. I mean, who wouldn't be drawn to a person like this? I mean, so, I mean, when you find someone with some of these characteristics, you want to be close to someone like this, and you want to listen to what they have to say. Philippians 2.5 says, let this mind also be in you. We are to pursue this kind of life. Now let me read Colossians 3, 12, a little further on in the book of Colossians. Listen to this. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. That's how he sees you if you're his child. Holy, beloved, Because of Christ, he sees us as holy. And so it says, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, 
so you also must forgive. That list that we just had there before us were characteristics of Jesus and these are the characteristics that he says, now clothe yourselves with this. This is what is to be spilling out of our lives. If we have been saved, if we know Christ, when we get rattled, when we get shaken, as we go through our lives, what's spilling out? And we are told these things are to be spilling out. Yet, so sadly and so often, it's not the case. And sadly, for many of us, it can be quite the opposite of what comes out of our lives. Or we will look like this or act like this towards people we like or people who like us, but to other people, well, we're going to reserve our judgment on how kind and compassionate and loving and forgiving and, 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 and long-suffering we will be with these people. You've you, you got to prove, prove you know, you've got to deserve this. I'm not going to just give this out freely. Christ did. You know, and sadly, Christians or the church, at times we can be the worst billboards that there are out there for Christianity. We can be the church's worst marketing campaign. Hi, come to Jesus. Hi, come follow me. Hi, come to my church. And they see us being and pursuing not this, but very much the opposite of these things. That's why the world is saying, no thank you. That is why the world is finding the church irrelevant. That's why when we looked on that graph last week, that, that statistic of how many people are in church, they've become disillusioned. Why go there? There's nothing, nothing new. There's nothing transformational. I want to go and I want to be more like you. I mean, some Christians can be so grumpy, so negative, so, you know, I just want to walk off a, a cliff somewhere at times just rather than wanting to hang out with them because it, and I can be like that too. We sing the song, or maybe you did in Sunday school growing up, and I don't think we sing it too much anymore. Kids sing it. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. It's like, oh, yeah, it's down there somewhere. <laughs> no one can find it, not even yourself. You know, and, and, and it's, it's there, you know, and uh, 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 yeah, it, it's just somewhere. Got to look for it. Turn on the spotlight. Maybe I'll find some of that joy down in my heart. Um, and, and, and that is not the characteristic that, that we are to be, it's to be bubbling out of us. Why isn't it? I heard Pastor James McDonald uh, give an illustration, and I want you to kind of help me with this one a little bit. And, and it was about a dog food company that was having a convention. I guess sometimes when I go to hotels and, and that, I, I, I get a little kick out of seeing some of the different kind of conventions that go on. And, and yes, I guess even dog food companies have conventions, you know. And, uh, and so they were having um, a convention and, and the, the name of the company was Kennel Ration, okay. Can you say that? Kennel Ration, okay. And I want you to say it with some enthusiasm, okay. Kennel Ration. All right, okay, so, so they're together, the salesmen, they came in from all over uh, the United States and they've gathered in together and, and they get their, their, their president up there and he's given this great speech and, 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 and every time when I ask a question, I want you to yell out what? Right, okay, so, so he, he's, he's standing there and he's getting them all fired up. They've had a wonderful time together so far at this, this convention about dog food and, uh, and, and he says, who is the best dog food in the country? Right on. Who has the best marketing? What, who has the best processing and packaging plant? You guys aren't too excited. A little more excited on this next one. Who has the best product delivery system? 
yeah. And then he kind of comes to a pause and he says, how come we're not selling more dog food? And there was this long, <laughs> and there was this long pause in, in, in a kind of that uncomfortable pause. And one guy from the deep south with a strong accent that I won't even try to, uh, to, to, to uh, emulate puts up his hand and he says, honestly, sir, the dogs just don't like it, you know? Sadly, the same sort of thing can be said about Christians and the church. We've got it. We've got the full package. We have Jesus, the Son of God, forgiveness of sins, peace that passeth all understanding, heaven when we die, a friend who sticks closer than a brother, yet so many people can be down on Christians and down on the church for good reason or not interested in it because of us. Because of hypocrisy, because of pride, because of self-righteousness, because we've turned it into a religion. We've turned it into do this, don't do that. About earning, even though we don't believe it, yet we oftentimes live it, that you kind of need to prove yourself. And that's what we're going to be looking at here today. We are talking, really, we're taking square on the head the issue of pride and self-righteousness. Something that we will constantly always need to fight in our lives. Something that we will default to over and over until we are being transformed more and more into the mind of Christ. And so that's why today we want to talk about getting real about humility, which is really the opposite of what I've just been describing. But there's so much and, and, and so much at stake for the cause of Christ, for the church, but there's so much at stake about what we're going to talk about today because it shows and reveals not just the problem with Christians or the problem with the church, it can reveal a deep-rooted problem in our own hearts. It's not just affecting the fruit, it's affecting what is really going on within our hearts. And so Jesus tells, in Luke chapter 18, he tells a parable. Now remember, a parable isn't something that exactly happened, but it is something that probably or possibly could happen. And Jesus would speak in parables so that people would recognize the reality of the truth that he was trying to get across to them. And so he was telling an illustration. He was given a story. And so in this parable, we're going to keep it really simple today. In this parable, we see two men, two prayers, and one very sobering response. And the first thing that we see, first of all, we see two men in this story. And so we're going to pick this up here in in chapter 18, starting in verse 9, um, it says, He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Verse 10, Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. So here we see the first person we see is a Pharisee. Pharisees were solid citizens in uh, the Holy Land. They were sol solid citizens in Israel. They were the epitome of high achievers. I mean, moral, morally and religiously, they were spot on. Respectable, honored, revered by many. People would look upon them and just say, oh, only to be like one of those Pharisees. They have their act together. They know how to live this. They've got it figured out. Then if everyone 
would be like a Pharisee, would be like this guy that we're going to talk about today. You would have an amazing society. You wouldn't need police. You wouldn't need the prison, prison system. People would be kind to one another. We would just see so much, and yet everyone would be going to hell if everyone was like this Pharisee. The next person we see is a tax collector. Basically, you can write beside tax collector, if you're taking notes on this, pond scum. That's how tax collectors were seen. They were the most hated, despised people in society. They would collect taxes for Rome, and then they would take the share for Rome, and they would turn it, into Rome, turn it over to, to the Romans, but then they would keep plenty for their own pockets. They had the, the rights to go and take whatever they wanted. They could issue the taxes in, and, and having no regard for others or for the plight of others. And they were seen as traitors, cut off from the social and religious circles and gatherings because they had no moral compass. Who would want to hang out with them? And so they often hung with the tax collectors, the sinners, the prostitutes, the immoral, the criminals. They would kind of hang out together. And so here you have, as Jesus is telling this story, two individuals, a Pharisee, a tax collector, polar opposites from one another. You couldn't get two individuals that were further apart when it came to society, when it came to, to, to morality and, and ethics. And so we have them both in the temple here on this day. And on a daily basis, what would take place in the temple in Jerusalem would be sacrifices at 9 a.m. and 3 p.m. in the afternoon as they were instructed in the book of Numbers, in Numbers chapter 8. This was ordained by God for there to be sacrifices in the temple at this time. There would be burnt offerings that would be offered as defined in Leviticus 1. A sin offering, a lamb would be sacrificed as the atonement for the sins of the people. And they would come for a time of prayer, confession, and worship. There would be incense that would be burnt, symbolizing the prayers of God's people that are ascending up to the nostrils of God. Something sweet, something beautiful. The sacrifice would be there. The blood would be pouring out as a reminder of the cost of their sin. For the tax collector, he was there. We're not sure why he would have showed up on this day. This wouldn't have been a regular occurrence for him to be there. But there must have been a stirring in his heart that day. For the Pharisee, he was there every day. I mean, that was just part of the ritual. He probably was there at 9 a.m. and 3 p.m. He, he, he wouldn't miss it for the world. I mean, this was important stuff to be there. For the tax collector, he shows up there on this day because there must have been something stirring in his heart. And as the sacrifice was being offered, the incense is being burnt, we hear the prayers of these men. Jesus gives us an insight into their prayers. And so we see these two prayers. Let's look at these prayers. In verse 11, the Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. I mean, really, when you break down this prayer, when you analyze this prayer, this is a good prayer. It is. He's thanking God. He's not thanking me. He's not, oh God, I thank me for, for, for the fact that I'm a good person. No, he's giving thanks to God. This is a good prayer. It's very God-driven. God, I'm, th I'm thankful that I'm not like other people. Have you ever prayed that prayer? I have. Yesterday we were downtown, around the Starbucks area, around the downtown core. 
interesting. I remember walking around those streets there last night a number of times remember thinking, boy, glad I'm not that person. Wow. What's brought it to that person's life that they're living like that? We were in the Starbucks and we kind of smirked and giggled a little bit because there was this interesting fellow that was wearing this headpiece that kind of resembled that of a Egyptian um, princess. Like just this, it, it was weird. It, and then he was wearing kind of normal clothes. At one point he kind of stood up and lifted up his shirt and was rubbing his belly. Buddha, Egypt, I, I don't know what was exactly going on there. It was very strange and, and you just can't help but look at these people. Or, or, or a little earlier in the evening, out at, at a parking lot of a shopping store or shopping center, seeing something happen. And the first thing that got me going on this guy is that he ran a stop sign. And he was talking on his cellular phone at the time. And, he, and I had to break because I noticed, and he was an older gentleman. I'm like, what's this old guy doing talking on his phone, blowing stop signs in, in, in the parking lot? Because I've never done that. And then we're in the store. We come walking out. And, uh, and then I notice that there's this transaction that he's, he's still talking on his cellular phone. And I'm thinking, boy, this guy, he, he has a lot going on. And, and, and uh, I could tell there was a passenger, and, and because I, at times, I think I could have been a police officer, would have loved that, I love justice, you know, and uh, especially when it's on my side, you know, and, uh, and, and so, you know, did a little drive around, and Charlotte's like, really, you know, and I'm like, well, you know, just doing my part here, and I'm nosy, and, and you know, he, it must be his wife sitting there with him, and, and then we notice this transaction going on, this is a, some truck pulls up here, this woman pulls, uh, comes walking over, something, a little exchange happens, and then she goes off, and then some other guy goes on, and I just kind of thought, well, maybe I'll go up, so I pulled out my cellular phone, and I put on, pretended I was talking, and I pressed the record button, you know, and, and, and you know, just kind of like, oh, maybe I'll get something going on here you know like I, I mean and so I, I look and as we're driving away we're trying to say what is going on there like what's driving it's probably something illegal and and uh, and, and, and Charlotte kind of surmised well maybe this lady had hip replacement surgery a number of years ago has a strong prescription for some really good drugs and so keeps filling that prescription and now is selling like we're piecing it all together we're trying to figure out what has brought it to this point and and and, and oftentimes we oh God I just thank you that I'm not I'm sure glad I'm not like that person over there. I mean, that's okay to pray, isn't it? To be thankful for what God has done in my life. Being thankful that for the heritage and for the family that I have. God, I, I'm, I'm thankful I'm not like other people. The Pharisee is thankful to God in his prayer that God has worked in his life enough to bring him to this point where he is just so dedicated and such a gift to society. I fast twice a week, he says. Did you know the Old Testament law didn't require that? It required fasting once a year. He fasted twice a week. This guy was holy, holy, holy. And he liked to let people know that he fasted twice a week. He tithed on all. Notice that word, all. That I, He says, I give a tithe of all that I receive. All that I get. I mean, this guy was, I mean, he was... Church treasures and budgets would love him. He ties on everything, not just his, his income, he gives a 10%, but his investments. If his investments have gone up, he gives a tithe of that. His property value goes up, ties on that. Retirement fund goes up, gives on. Who, who does that today? I'm not sure if there are people who do that kind of a thing. Garden produce, you know, oh, there's a little thyme and a little mint, and what's 10% of that? Figures it out, figures out the net worth, gives that away. 
He is just tithing. I mean, he is a tithing machine. I mean, he is so giving. And, and so he, there's this prayer of thankfulness. And, and he is so thankful that he's not guilty of the big sins. He's not like the adulterer. He's, he's not an extortioner. And he's not like that tax collector over there. He honestly believes he is not like these others. Look at the tax collector's prayer. Verse 13. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven but beat his breast saying, be merciful to me, a sinner. Be merciful to me, a sinner. The tax collector stands with his head down. He can't even look. He can't even bring himself to look up to heaven as the incense is going up. He can't even look at the altar to see the shed blood of the lamb that was there. He can only look down. He sees, I am not worthy. Oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He sees his sin, his burden, and he knows that only God can take it away. He saw that God's wrath came down on that spotless lamb so that mercy could flow into his life. And beating his breath, he calls himself a sinner. He gets to a very, very low place, saying, be merciful to me, God. You are my only hope. The Pharisee sees the lamb day after day, but it does nothing for him. He, the, the dripping blood, he's become immune to it. It's not a big deal. All he sees is himself. He sees his acts of righteousness and his good living. And he sees others, how they don't quite measure up. He compares himself. I'm not that bad. I'm good. I'm not bad like that person. The tax collector is saying, be merciful to me. It's my only hope. The Pharisee is saying, look at me. There's no conviction of sin in the Pharisee's prayer. No acknowledgement of his sin. Folks, when we are in the presence of God, we see our sin. We see who we are. We see our failures, our shortcomings. And it compels us to, to confess that to him. Oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I'm an unclean man with unclean lips. But my eyes are seeing you, Father. And so we confess our sins. And then we see... Lastly, a sobering response. In speaking of the tax collector, Jesus says this about the tax collector. He says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified. Wow. Now, this would be an awesome verse. If you're looking at it right now, I encourage you to be looking at it. This would be an awesome verse if after the word justify, there was a period. If you could place a period there, we would be, oh, that is such a good verse. Such good news. Our God indeed saves the sinner. But there's not a period there, there's a comma. And so let's read it with the comma, verse 14. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, comma, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The tax collector is given right standing before God. He gets saved. He experiences God's mercy, God's grace, his forgiveness. Grace is imparted to him. God is not going to condemn, 
condemn him. Instead, God is welcoming him. He is accepted by God. The Pharisee who gives God credit, who gives of his time, who gives of his money, lives an exemplary life, is said here by Jesus to not be accepted, to not be justified, but rather condemned. The tax collector is counting on his mercy and on, or the tax collector is counting on the mercy and the grace of God where the Pharisee is counting on his works of righteousness. Now I know that for many of you, you hear this, you say, I know this, Melvin, I get this, I understand this, we understand this, and, and, and many of us have experienced this personally in our lives. We recognize that we have been that tax collector We are sinful and we have run to Jesus. We understand that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And many of you have stood like the tax collector in the shoes of the tax collector and we've yelled out to God, God be merciful to me, a sinner. And we've looked upon the sacrifice of Christ and we say, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy. Amen for that. That's the place That's when God shows up. That's when we are justified, when we see this happening. Now, don't raise your hand when I ask this question. Just answer in your own heart. I wonder how many of us upon hearing this story, even here this morning, that right away as you're going through this and you hear that the tax collector went home and was justified, how many of us are wondering, well, I wonder if he changed his life. I wonder if he kind of went away for you. Did he, did he pull off a Zacchaeus now? Did he go and start giving the money back? Did he, did he, did he stop his ways and, 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 and stop being a dishonest tax collector? You know, we want to know, like, okay, so, so what happened? We don't know. And it can bug us. We want to know what was the fruit of his repentance. All we know is that he understood his condition. He understood the cost of the condition that he had that it would take the shedding of blood of a lamb in order for his sins to be covered, to be atoned for. And it's a heart like that that is truly transformed. To see the trajectory of his life when you truly receive Christ and understand his grace and mercy, there is transformation that happens. Might be slower, maybe different than how the Pharisee would see transformation. Or how many of us upon hearing the story of this story that we've heard have maybe thought, boy, I'm sure glad I'm not like that Pharisee. He's so proud and self-righteous. Sheesh. <laughs> Careful. And thinking that sort of thought, we're just guilty as he is. Comparing. Self-righteous. We can become so obsessed with the external actions of others We become obsessed with external actions on our own behalf to make ourselves feel good or to look good in the eyes of others. And and, and we see this in different levels of performance. We we compare, we judge, well, at least I'm not like that person or I'm better than that person or or those are the bad sins and, and, you know, like I'm I'm not, you know, in committing, like, yeah, I'm a sinner, you know, I stumble, I fall, you know, and, but I'm not as bad as that person. No, you know how we sing that song from that old hymn, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. We oftentimes don't think that verse really applies to us, do we? I mean, it's others who are kind of prone to wander. I mean, let's face it, in this room, probably most of us aren't going to be prone to wander into extortion or into drug dealing or, or different things like that, but We're prone to wander into self-righteousness. 
comparing, looking down on others, building ourselves up so others can see us and see the goodness in us. You see, that's our, because of the fall, because of our sin nature, that is our default mode. That's where we always want to keep going, that performance, that, that comparison, that judging, look at me, and, and trying to raise ourselves up and, and try to feel better about ourselves in that way. But our prayer is, ought to be, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Lord, be merciful to that person, a sinner. May they see your holiness, your goodness, your grace. May we see that our works of righteousness or of self-righteousness are as filthy rags to God. They mean nothing. And instead of us praying these beautiful prayers of, that can be filled with self-righteous, look at me, it's instead, oh God, it's me, it's me standing in the need of prayer. Not my brother, not my sister, but me. God, do that work in me. I know this guy needs it. This city, this region needs a church that is filled with people that stand Sunday after Sunday, day after day, like the tax collector and not the Pharisee. People who are desperate daily for grace and mercy in our lives. Because what is the result of this? Verse 14, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. See, folks, there's this basic principle in the Bible. Whatever goes up must come down. But the opposite happens when we go down. God raises us up. It's so counterintuitive to our culture, isn't it? I mean, at times it's becoming so bad watching athletes and, and watching them strut their stuff after a first down, after a, a sweet basket, after a home run, whatever it might be. It's that swagger effect. It's, it's that whole thing. And we're drawn to that. At times it makes me want to puke when I see that. Even in the, in, in the teams that I'm cheering for, I'm just like, okay, you did good. Just, you know what, go like this, you know, in your mind and just walk back to the huddle. Just not a big deal. Like, don't get so high on yourself. And so, but, but we're attracted to this and we like, we, we like Odell Beckham Jr. And, and his amazing catches and all this and the swagger that happens with it. Our young people just follow that and say, oh, that guy has it. He's got it. What goes up will come down. But when we go down, God raises us up. It's a basic principle. God's word tells us that when we go down, God will lift us up. 1 Peter 5, 6. But it says something in there we don't really like too much. It says in due time. It's not in my time. It's in due time. God will raise us up when we are humble. James 4, 6 says when we go up in pride God commits himself to bring you down. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. The army of God goes to work against the proud. No other sin do we see this in the Bible that, that God resists so much that, that it, it is, is talked about not being a thief or an adulterer or moral. Yes, those are serious sins and God will judge them. There's the sowing and reaping that happens. But so clearly, pride is a killer. And God says, I resist that. I go to war against that. Psalm 18, 27 says, God God says, I save the humble, but the proud I bring down. He will bring down the proud. 
Pride is so dangerous and God will never make peace with our pride, folks. He will never make peace with our pride. And religious pride is one of the worst. Building our confidence and our salvation off of our goodness, on our activities, comparing ourselves, judging others, it belittles the work of the cross of Jesus. And folks, we can be good husbands and good fathers and good mothers and good wives. We can be good servants within the local church. We can be a pastor. We can be church leaders in various worship, technical servants, workers in all of these things. And yet we can be so filled with pride and we must repent and we humble ourselves. And when we humble ourselves, when we humble ourselves before God and say, I can't do this. Uh, It is not me. It is you, God. Be merciful to me. When we pray a prayer on a daily basis like that of the tax collector saying, oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. All the power of heaven goes to work in our lives. It's available. You want power in your life? Go down. Be humble. Let me show you. You say, where do you get that from? All through scripture. But Isaiah 57, 15, write this down. You can can even read the verses ahead of that. You can read the full context. We're just going to look here at verse 15. Isaiah 57, 15. Listen to this. This is where God shows up. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in high and, high and, and holy places and also with him who is of contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. So where is God? God is high above in holiness, in splendor and grandeur. He's down with the lowly. Think about it. You know how they put the paddles on people when their heart stops? Because they're, they're basically dead. They're dying. They need help and they put the paddles on them and give them that shot, you know. And, and I've never seen them give paddles to someone who is already standing up. Here, we'll just give them an extra shot, you know. No, I mean, they don't, they don't need it. I mean, they're up. They're moving. Maybe they need a kick. Maybe they need a little shot of something but you know it's it's not that it's when a person is down flat they're right down flat they are like oh that's when the power comes and this is where our god revives when we are down when we are lowly we want to experience the power the presence of god in our lives is in the highest of places as we worship him, experience him. But when we get as low as we can in humility, praying that prayer, oh God, it's me, it's me. Be merciful to me, a sinner. God doesn't show up in the mushy middle. He's not in the mushy middle. He's down with the low. Humility is seeing, I need him every day, all day, every day. Self-justifications, comparisons, desire to bolster ourselves. <laughs> God. And so we must recognize it, repent of it. Saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Get to that low place. Get to that low place and stay there. 
Who do you identify with here today? Tax collector? Pharisee? You are the only one that can answer that. Let's pray together.